Let's read our verse today, our, our chapter, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? All right. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing uh, to be here gathered uh, in person and online uh, to be able to worship you. God, we've already had... Uh, a powerful time of worship uh, as we've witnessed a baptism and heard a testimony and just been excited uh, to see your work, the new life that you bring uh, at work uh, here in Infinity Church and through our families. God's a blessing. God, we uh, have had so much to celebrate uh, this week with Christmas and so many good things happening. God, we just pray that uh, you would use these moments now to draw us to you, uh, that we may glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this isn't my message, but I'm, I just have to say this, otherwise I might keep thinking about it, that there's a passage uh, where the Israelites are crossing over uh, the Jordan River, and God puts the priest carrying the ark uh, right there at the, the river. They stand in the water, and then the water, the water divides so the people could cross through on dry ground. And uh, so I've been, you know, people pointed out that the priests that day were the only people who had wet sandals. Everybody else got to have dry feet, but the priests, they have wet sandals. And I put on my shoes a little too quickly, and my shoes are wet today. And I love it. I, I'm glad I've got wet feet. It's a good problem to have. So we're excited uh, for this privilege. Today we are uh, shifting uh, from, pivoting from, from Christmas uh, and all that 2020 has been to the new year. And uh, for many of you, you are really glad to be to be pivoting. I've heard some people say that, you know, they don't normally stay up uh, to, to see, you know, midnight and 12.01 for the new year, but this year they're going to stay up to make sure that 2020 leaves and 2021 comes. Uh, we're looking forward to that. But uh, maybe you've got some extra time off. Uh, kids are out of school. Maybe you get some extra time out of work right now, and you have the opportunity to kind of stop and reflect and think about where we are and where you are and how things are going in life. Uh, many people around New Year's kind of stop and think through some, some resolutions, some things you want to do uh, differently or better maybe in the new year. And uh, that's a good thing to do. That's a good, wise thing. It's, it's always a good opportunity to, to, to reevaluate your priorities. Um, but today, I, I want to challenge you beyond just making a, a couple uh, resolutions and a couple small steps toward a, a couple goals. I want to challenge you at a much deeper level, at the heart level. You and I may make some, some resolutions and some plans, uh, generally around areas that are a priority to us in life. We, we make plans and want to make strategies about things that matter to us, but 
I want to ask you, beyond just making new plans and different hobbies and habits and that kind of thing, what is your first priority? Beyond just what you do and your habits, what, what is actually the thing that you care about above everything else? What is your very first priority? I want to challenge you as you, as you look to, to pivot out of all that 2020 has been and into 2021, that you get the first thing right. That we get the very first thing in the new year, new calendar, new start, to get the first thing right. There may be lots of other good things that happen. There may be great things that happen in your life. But if you don't get the first thing right, I venture to say that all of it isn't going to amount to a whole lot. And that's why I want to call you in 2021 to pray first. Pray first. That's what we're titling this sermon this morning, Pray First. Because the first priority, our first priority, is our relationship with the Lord. Knowing Him personally. Having a deep relationship with Him. A growing relationship. An ongoing walk with the Lord. And the way we do that is by reading His Word, Him speaking to us, and then us continuing in this relationship with Him in prayer. So was your thinking about 2021 coming this week? I want to challenge you to pray first. Maybe, maybe you've got some other goals. Maybe you have some fitness goals. That's the most popular resolution uh, every year, you know, nationally or whatever, is you know, weight loss or some kind of new diet or new plan. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing at all. That's a good thing. God calls us to steward our bodies. But if you get to this point in 2021, where you're looking into, 20, into the new year, and you've lost a few pounds, or you've done some kind of exercise achievement, or you're, you've got some kind of, you know, your cholesterol is better in check, or whatever else, but you don't know the Lord any better, or you don't know Him at all, I, I'd venture to say that it hasn't been a success. You haven't reached the ultimate goals. Maybe the, the next priority are some financial goals. That's a good thing to do. Make plans financially about how to spend and save and get out of debt and, and work through. Those are good things to do. But if you, if you save a whole bunch next year and, de- and don't go into debt, and yet you don't know the Lord any more deeply, then we haven't put our priorities in the right order. Our priorities have to be in the right place to pursue the right things in the right order. So a week before the new year starts, I think it's a good time, if you haven't already, to be asking the question, what are we pursuing in 2021? I, I personally love New Year's. I love making resolutions and plans. I love thinking through new ideas. But, but I'm talking about deeper than just a resolution. I'm talking about a recalibration, a recalibration of your heart. What is your heart truly and genuinely focused on in 2021? That will show up in specific plans and habits and strategies. You know, usually we, it's been said you, you always do what you want to do, like deep down. You know, when you, you eat more because you love food more than you love exercise. You know what I mean? You always actually do what you want to do. So deep at the heart level, that's what we're aiming at. If, if I just convince you to, you know, kind of muster up some courage and pray a little more, that, that won't change. If your heart changes, where you deeply love God more, that's, that's what's going to lead to true change. So that's what we're after today. We're calling, I'm calling us, as we think about 2021, to pray first. And I felt this pull a couple weeks ago as I started thinking through the new year. And I was personally reminded, uh, you know, just of this priority of prayer. I wanted to make that a priority in my own life. And as I did, I felt this tug to this parable uh, that David just read for us. It starts in Luke 18, primarily because of this first line. It says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, told them a parable to the effect 
that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the reason I thought of that line is that if Jesus has a teaching about needing to not lose heart, 2020 is the year for that teaching, right? Like, if we needed some encouragement to persevere and stay steadfast, stay strong, we certainly needed that in 2020. It has been a challenging year. And if you were here with us Christmas Eve out in the parking lot uh, or joining us online, if you're out there in the rain or honking your horn, you, you know, we, we talked, I talked about darkness, uh, that we have seen so much darkness in 2020. Of course, everything surrounding the pandemic, from the disease to all the isolation, uh, financial hardships, burdens and stress, just everybody feels the stress of, of what this year has been. Uh, and beyond that, the world around us has seen darkness of immorality and injustice and violence and chaos and conspiracy. And then it's not just out there. We talked to on, on Thursday night about how the darkness has also been inside of us. We have seen this year, maybe the net more than ever before, that, that our own hearts are wicked. When, when things are stripped away, when our comforts are stripped away, we see the pride and the greed and the anger and the hate and the anxiety. And so Christmas Eve, we talked about how it's all about Christ, who is the light, who has come to pierce that darkness. So if you, if you see darkness around you and you see Jesus as the light, then, then what are you going to do about it? Do you run more toward the darkness or do you run to the one who is the light? And that's what prayer is. Prayer is running away from the darkness to the one who is the light, dependent on Him. So in 2021, pray first. Pray first. There's never a bad time to get recalibrated and refocused on what matters most. But a really good time is right now. Always, right now, facing what's ahead. And to help us make this a priority, to, to not lose heart, Jesus gives us a very powerful parable. But it is an odd one. Maybe as it was read, you even heard some of the things that seemed a little bit strange to our ears. And I think the reason why it's strange is we have so much to learn from it. If this was normal to us, it wouldn't seem strange. But it's strange because we have... So much to learn from it. In, in Jesus' parable, there is a, a widow who has been a victim of some kind of injustice. And so in the ancient world, uh, widows were especially vulnerable. They, they were a group of people who didn't have many rights in society just because of the way society was, the society was structured. And so uh, orphans, widows, uh, immigrants were especially vulnerable. So the Old Testament, over and over again, uh, is talking about protecting these, these groups of people who are vulnerable. And so in Jesus' parable, this widow has been wronged and she comes to the one person in town who can make it right. He's the judge. He's the one that can set whatever injustice right. He can make it right. That's what she asked for is justice. But there's only one problem, and it's a big one. The judge, the only one who can fix it, is an evil, evil judge. It says in verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So talk about somebody who needed a heart recalibration. Okay, this guy is evil and wicked. He is nowhere close to right. He does not love God first above everything else. But to make matters worse, it's not just that he doesn't love God. He doesn't even do the right thing for the wrong reason. Right? You know, like some people will, will do the right thing just to make themselves look good. Like they fear that what people are going to think about them. So they'll do the right thing for the wrong reason. This guy's not even in that category. He doesn't care what people think about him. He's going to do what he wants. He's the one in charge of his own life. Doesn't matter what God thinks or anybody thinks. That's the judge that the widow has to go to to get what she needs. He's the only one 
who has the authority to fix her problem. And so, that's how this guy is, is described. He even, he even says that about himself. I'm not, we're not slandering him. He says in verse 4, I neither fear God nor respect man. He just owns it. Like that's, that's who, who he is. That's his character. And so when the widow comes asking for justice, he refuses. He doesn't care what's right. He says, no, go away. You know? So the widow comes back and asks again. And again, and again, and again. Every time he keeps com- she keeps coming, he keeps ignoring, keeps trying to push her away, and she just will not give up. She keeps asking over and over again. She's, we'll call it persistent. There's a nice word for it, right? Persistent. She's persistent. The, the words the judges use are not quite so pretty. She keeps bothering me, is what he says. Uh, she, she, he's afraid that she'll beat him down with her continual coming. So basically, she is pestering him, borderline nagging him to make this right. That's the description of her. Eventually, he does give in and gives her what she wants, but again, not for the right reason. He just has now figured out that it's in his own best interest to just take the hassle of fixing the problem because otherwise he's got this bigger hassle of her coming all the time and bothering him. So he eventually does it, but for completely the wrong reasons. That's the parable. And you read that and you're like, what? What in the world does it have to do with prayer? Remember Jesus' point in the parable. He said at the beginning, we're supposed to pray like this. And that seems so odd. When you think of prayer, either your own prayer life uh, or maybe somebody you know that you kind of watch them pray, does it look anything like this? Does this look like prayer to you? Jesus says it's a parable about prayer, so we we can piece these characters together, right? There's a woman who's asking for something, so that represents us in prayer, and then there's a judge who can answer it, so that's supposed to represent God? Well, that seems odd, doesn't it? At least until we read verses 6 and 7 where Jesus puts the pieces together for us. He says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? This is the way the Bible teaches over and over again. You'll see it as you start reading over and over. It's a, it's a lesser to greater argument or a, or a how much more argument. The idea is if this evil person will eventually do the right thing, how much more will the righteous person do the right thing? So maybe you're familiar with the way Jesus teaches about prayer uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and other places. He says, which of you, if a son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So the idea is, we're, we're not good people, we're not righteous, and yet we know how to give gift, good gifts to our children. So how much more should we trust the better father, the better parent, to give good gifts to his children? So the idea is, here in this parable, there is a wicked, evil selfless, selfish, arrogant judge. And even he eventually does the right thing. So how much more should we trust that our good and holy and righteous father and judge will do the right thing? That's the point of the parable. That's what he's telling us about God. Or another way of saying it is our just God promises justice. Our just God promises justice. That's the, the point he's making. There's two characters, a judge and, a, and a, somebody who's asking for something. 
And so about God, we're supposed to see that He is the opposite of that kind of judge. Whereas the, the judge on earth was evil, our judge is righteous. But both of them give justice. We can trust our God to give justice. If the wicked judge eventually does what is right, then we can trust our God to do the right thing. The point is, we are drawn to God in prayer when we know His character. We know what He's like. We know His justice and His holiness and His righteousness. And we know we can come to Him and ask for what we need. Both in the parable, this evil judge and our God, they're both in charge of justice. And so that's what we're called to ask for. If we know that God is good, and He is the one, the only one who can make all things right and perfect in the world, then where else would we turn with our needs? Where else would we go asking for help than to God alone? God gives justice to those who need it. That's what He's promising, and that's what He calls us to do. He promises justice. Our our just God is in charge of that, and we come asking for it. And that in itself is a pretty big lesson to us, isn't it? What do you come to God asking for? What do you come asking when you do come to Him in prayer? Justice is God's idea of saying the world is like it should be. Everything is right and good and holy. There's peace and there's righteousness in the world. Do you, do you, is that what you ask for? Or do we ask just for what we want and to meet my needs and make me happy? There is a place for that, but many times for us, we only ask for that instead of asking for God's will to be done. One of the simplest ways to pray for justice is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, make this like heaven. Make it righteous like you intend for it to be. There's a, a strong rebuke to us uh, for, how we, for, for what we pray for. Uh, that We pray for so much for our own needs, but here is a woman asking for the right thing, for justice to be done. So that's one lesson, but I think there's an even more repetitive lesson throughout this. And that's not just what we pray for, but how we pray. The, the frequency, the repetitiveness of our prayer, that is the point. We have a just God who promises justice, so how much more willing should we be to ask for that frequently? And so the, 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 the lesson from this woman, if, if God's supposed to tell us about His heart, His justice, the woman teaches us about prayer And that prayer is this, always pray, don't give up. Always pray and don't give up. We can't miss that in this parable. Verse 1, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always pray, don't give up, don't lose heart. Throughout the parable, Jesus finds different ways of saying that in in different forms. And I, I almost had to laugh at the way some of these are described. Because... I don't picture prayer this way many times, but listen to the way this happens. In verse 3, it says the widow kept coming. And it wasn't just that she came, she came again and again and again. Verse 5, it says the judge says she was bothering him, like pestering, annoying, almost nagging. In verse 5, it says uh, that he gave her justice because he was afraid that she would beat him down. I looked in these words, the words used here for for beat down uh, come from a word that references the spot right underneath your eye. And so it's a reference to having a black eye, that essentially she was pounding him with her request for justice, that he was nervous he was going to get just beat up by her request. It's like he's shielding his face by her just asking for justice. 
He's afraid you're going to give a black eye to this man asking, do, do, you, do you pray like, like you're giving God a black eye, like you're pounding, begging for him to answer your request? request. He says, uh, her continual coming, just continual over and over again. And he draws, unless you think maybe Jesus wasn't trying to make that point, Jesus says it himself, verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So her persistence is the point, the over and over again. Think about praying like that. Keep coming. Keep bothering. Beat down with continual coming. Cry day and night. There is a a strong lesson, even a rebuke here, about how we should pray. My assumption is that a majority of people don't pray, or at least rarely pray. My assumption is that even for people who are Christians, we spend very little time in prayer. We pray over meals at most, maybe at bedtime or when we first wake up, and usually they are short and simple. And, and I didn't intentionally do this, but there's a guy here kneeling you know, on the, the image. Like, that's probably what we have in mind when we think of praying. You know, quiet, serene, calm prayer. And that's okay. You know, that's a good thing. But listen to the contrast from that to the way that Luke 18 is describing prayer. Unless you think this is just, hey, it's just a one-time parable. Be careful of, of overanalyzing. This is taught over and over again in the Bible. Go to Luke 11, where Jesus tells a similar parable to this point. In that, in that parable, there's a man who's on a journey, and he comes by a friend's house late one night. And he's hungry. And so he pounds on the door asking for bread. And this not-so-friendly friend on the inside says, Hey, don't bother me. My kids are already in bed with me asleep. Don't, don't wake them up. And it says he's, he's uh, the word he uses there is imprudent, almost rude. He's banging to the point where he's almost rude. And again, he's making the point, if this friend would barely, you know, if he'll eventually come, God will. He's calling you to that kind of repetitive asking. We saw this a few weeks ago with a synchrophoenician woman in Mark 7. She begs. Well, that's not very pretty, is it? She's begging for God, for Jesus to come and to heal her daughter. He is, she is pleading. And when he gives her kind of a, a mild pushback, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't run away. She begs all the more. But all of those kind of are, are reminiscent of the way that uh, Jacob, back in Genesis 32, we referenced it then, that when we looked at Mark 7, he wrestled with God and he refused to let God go until he would bless him. That is just such a different view of prayer, isn't it? We, th- we think of prayer as, you know, hands folded, sitting by a table, maybe kneeling at an altar. And here is a, a picture of just all out war, <laughs> pleading with God to intervene. I, I recently, I, well, frequently these days, have a very visual representation of what that looks like. Many of you know my four-year-old Micah. His favorite activity in all the world right now is wrestling. And he has gotten to the, to the size and strength where I can't like half participate in his wrestling. If I'm trying to talk to Amber or, or check a message on my phone while we're wrestling, I'm going to get hurt. Like he is, he's big enough now, 40-something pounds or whatever now, where I have to give him my, my full focus. And when, when Micah wrestles, it is like every muscle in his body. You know, when I grab his arm or I grab him by the chest or something, I can feel it. He is flexing 
everything he's got. I think at four and a half, Micah has forgotten how to walk. He only knows how to run. And when we wrestle, it is like, it is like a freight train coming at me. i got to be ready for this. Like multiple times I have hurt him in wrestling just because I'm fighting for my life. Like he, we, were, we were going for it, you know. And he is just having the time of his life. It is clawing and, and just tossing and turning across the living room carpet. What, what if we prayed like that? What if we prayed like that? We're just all in, full body. God's got our full attention. And it's everything I got coming to God and pleading with Him to answer our request. What if that was the picture of praying? I, I want to pray like that. I want to pray with everything I've got, full energy, full effort, full focus on what God has for us. We so often picture just saying a, a, a cute phrase and some nice words and, and we're just, just, you know, dear and amen, you know, done, right? Here's a picture of praying that's wrestling with God and pleading for Him to bring His kingdom here and now. Ultimately, this is longing for Christ to come back. We long for Jesus to come and take the evil and the wickedness of this world out so that we can be with Him forever. And it's longing that as long as He tarries and doesn't come back, that He would bring as much of that kingdom here and now with us. That is a picture, a powerful picture of what prayer should be like. And I'm convinced that as long as we, we think we can handle life, that we're okay without God, we're not going to wrestle with Him. We're not going to come and ask for Him. If we think we can figure it out on our own, right? We'll just come up with a different strategy. I tried praying for a couple minutes, but now i got something else. I'll, just, I'll move on to something else. i got my own way of fixing my problems. If we think we can do it, we won't come to Him this way. Or if we don't really recognize how, how sinful our own hearts are and how wicked the world around us is, we won't come to Him. But when we truly wrestle with God in prayer, what we're saying is we're desperate. We are desperate for Him. Picture the Psalms and the way they would describe David, multiple other Psalms. They're talking about how as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. We're desperate for God to intervene. If we think we've got it, we won't be desperate. But we recognize He's the only one who can help. We come to Him desperate. You know what somebody who's begging doesn't have? They don't have pride. They don't have arrogance. They don't have confidence in their own ability. If we recognize that only Jesus can give us the food we need, we come humbly. There is a form of nagging that's entitled, like saying, God, I deserve this, and I'm going to keep asking until you give it to me. That's not the attitude here. The attitude here is saying, you alone have what I need, and I know I've got to come to you for it. I can't go anywhere else. When we pray like that, it shows us that God is who we want. Prayer is about being with God. When we pray for the kingdom to come, we're ultimately praying that we would participate and walk in relationship with Him. And so prayer is that. I, I know why Micah likes wrestling. Yeah, he likes being physical. Yeah, he's like, he likes being a boy. And, and being a, You know what happens when we wrestle? He has my full attention, doesn't he? He's going to make sure of it if, I, if he doesn't, right? He, he's got my full attention. That's what he's really after. He's really after me as his dad being fully engaged with my son. When we come to God pleading for His attention and pleading for Him to work, 
He's got our attention. We're walking with Him. We're in relationship with Him. We're delighting in Him. I mean, I, so often I come to the Bible with my, with my analyzing hat on. You know, I'm trying to figure it out, whatever. And that's good. There's a lot for us to learn. But here's a picture. This, this, this widow's not analyzing justice. She's begging for it. She is pleading with everything she's got. Pray like that. Pray like that. Dependent upon God. And when we do... He rewards that kind of affection. He rewards that kind of earnest desire for His attention. God sometimes measures time a little bit different than us, but He does say uh, in verse 7 that He won't delay long. In verse 8, but that He will give it speedily. So maybe that doesn't, the, the speed isn't exactly the way you and I think of Him hurrying, and sometimes we're not asking for exactly the right thing. So he knows what and how to answer our, our request. But he knows it, it may take longer than you think. And so he's in challenging us to persevere in prayer. And he says this, the final challenge in verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He's saying, ultimately, Jesus will work this all out. He's coming back. He will bring his kingdom and everything will be made right. And when he does, will he find that you still have faith? Well, you have left because things got too hard, like the, the seed that was sown uh, and had shallow roots and the sun scorched it out. Or will you persevere through the trials and the hardships and say, I'm clinging to you, Jesus, because I know you are the one who has what I need and you're the only one who can give it to me. When we wrestle with God in prayer, we are pleading, begging, yearning for Him to answer it. And it's a way that it keeps, He keeps our affections we say, God, I know you are who we need above everything else. Do you know who prayed like that in addition to this woman? Jesus himself prayed like that. The night before he chose 12 disciples, a very important decision. You know what he did? He stayed up all night long in prayer. You know another night he did that and others failed him? <laughs> was the night before he was crucified. He asked the disciples to pray with him knowing the temptation was coming. He told them to stay up and to pray, but they slept. They weren't begging. They weren't pleading. They didn't, they didn't understand what was going on, so they just slept through it. But Jesus, knowing just how important that next day was, He stayed up all night long, wrestling with His Father. God, take this cup from me. But if you can't, if you shouldn't, if it's not best, not your will be done, not my will be done, but your will be done. He wrestled and He submitted to the Father's will. That's a picture of pleading, yearning, wrestling with God. And because He did that, that next day He went to the cross willingly and He brought justice, what we're all looking for. He brought it once and for all. Because you see, justice requires payment for sin. A wrong has been committed and payment must be made. And Jesus that day on the cross after spending all night in prayer paid fully for our sins for everybody who believes in Him. He did it. He wrestled when we gave up and we went to sleep. And because of that, He saves us when we put our faith in Him. Jesus accomplished it. He, he nailed it to the cross. And He brought justice to us for everybody who believes. So I, I want to challenge you, looking into the first of the new year, to pray and to pray first. And so I have uh, set up a very simple 
way to do this as a church family. We have uh, put a sign up. It's going to be online here at 1130. And you can go to our Facebook page and click it. We'll email it out. We have set up a, a sign-up sheet uh, online from January 1st to January 7th, uh, the, first, the first week of the new year, with seven slots in the day. And what I want you to do is to commit to praying in one of those slots. Now, just to clarify, I'm not asking you to pray for the entire time because some of the slots are like three hours long. You're welcome to pray for three hours. But I'm just saying one time in that window, you're saying, I'm going to pray. Because what this is going to do, there's 49 slots. So you can take one or you can, you, multiple people can sign up for the same slot. But I want, what I want you to see is that how all of us can pray together. You, you and I, we do have to sleep eventually. There may be nights, you know. But if we all pray all week long, just one week, if we're just all praying together, then we're putting our, our hearts in the right place. We're prioritizing the right thing, that we want to be a people of prayer. And so I want you to just sign up, one, one slot. You're not praying. There's no requirements other than just sometime in that three- or six-hour window, you're committed, I'm going to pray. And you can, you can pray. If you need help, turn to Luke 11. That's the, the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. You can use any other passage to pray through. You can just, however you want to pray, but just pray. That's the request. Just pray. And I think if we'll all do that together, we'll start 2021 with our church saying, we, we know what matters most, and we're going to start off on that foot. So if you're online, you're already on your computer or on your device, you can find that. If you guys that are here later on today, find that. Sign up this week, starting uh, on New Year's Day through the next week. And let's start with doing what matters most. Let's start our year in prayer.